5: this is Gretchen Whitmer and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program it's time now for armchair politics join host Tom
0: Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local state and national politics and the real issues that really matter you too can be part of armchair politics find us on Facebook
1: we let the dogs off their leash stay tuned Because it's on now.
4: Hey, good morning everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Good morning, Henry. Hello, Henry. I think we lost Henry somewhere along the line, but maybe he'll uh, rejoin us here. Um, and last but not least. Uh, Hello. To, oh, there's Henry. Good morning, Henry. Morning. Morning, Henry. I, I, uh, okay, yes, yes.
1: I just got an interrupting call from Judge Beagle, um, and I'm sorry. This is about our meeting, Paul. I apologize for this. I'll call him back <laughs> hey, after the show. Is our meeting next Monday? Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. Thank you. I'm sorry.
4: No, no problem. It's it it, it shut here off. As it, it shut off your communication. Oh, I. And see.
1: then I saw Judge Beagle's name on the 68th District Court. Maybe this is about something else.
4: Thank you. Well, I hope he's. Not, I hope it's not a complaint about this show. <laughs> um, but, but joining our roundtable is uh, 2018 Green Party candidate for governor Jennifer Curlin is back with us. Good morning, Jennifer. Welcome.
6: Morning, so good, good morning, gentlemen. Good
4: morning, story. Jennifer. <laughs> um. Well, as uh, always, we start with a few quotes. The first one is where I ask you, "How would you finish this quote?" And it goes like this: "I would like to die on Mars, just not what." How would you finish this quote? Uh,
3: just not right now. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
6: <laughs> just not five yeah. years from now, because that's how <laughs> long it would take to get there. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, I would rather die on Mars as long as I don't have to suffocate to death. <laughs>
4: well, the the uh, the original quote is, uh, "I would like to die on Mars, just not on impact." <laughs>
1: oh, <okay.
4: laughs> well, that's a good one. You know, well, that's a it, good one. And and I thought it was kind of appropriate to to use this quote because it comes from Elon Musk.
1: Oh,
6: well,
4: uh, and I,
6: I wondered if it was coming from him.
4: <laughs> it, uh, it, and it, it kind of helps me. Uh, the well, he made headlines <laughs> this last week. Yeah, from, I saw some of those
3: headlines from <laughs> his
4: appearance on Saturday Night Live in a skit they did where uh, he referred to Dogecoin as a hustle. <laughs> And and that that oh, that yeah. particular he kind, it, yeah he? <laughs> he did the the cryptocurrency went down in value by yeah did it go down thirty percent or something it, within the hour yeah before the show was even over <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> anyway I thought it'd be fun to have a little fun with uh, with Elon Musk he's uh, you know uh, speaking of his uh, his comment about you that not buy on impact...
1: That's the faster way to go than suffocating.
3: Yeah, <laughs> you got to think about <laughs> that,
6: suffocating, uh, Henry. <laughs> you are not wrong on that.
4: That's, that's better than being beat up by little green men, too, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. right. or, or hit by a car. But that's <laughs> also yeah. true.
3: And, yeah.
4: and Elon Musk has a car out there. Um, oh, yeah, right. And,
6: and yeah. I believe some self-driving cars that may have killed people as well. <laughs> yeah.
4: um, well, the, uh, uh, the first of a couple of quotes that I pulled as quotes of the week um, that, that caught my attention um, was this one. This is the year of science, and science and incredible speed and hard work has brought us three incredible vaccines, the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Mm. Uh, that has to be, was to the President, I, I just read that, gosh.
3: I was going to guess Dr. Fauci, but there's a lot of possibilities of that one. I well, think. it was actually
4: uh, Dr. Mona Hanna-Attisha.
3: Oh, oh. yes. Yeah.
4: Everyone in Michigan to get the COVID-19 vaccine, the Flint pediatrician, who was known, of course, for being the first to... Find elevated levels of lead in the blood of Flint children during the city's water crisis is encouraging Michigan residents, especially older teenagers, to get vaccinated, saying it is necessary to build immunity to return to a sense of normalcy. The Flint pediatrician gave six Flint area teens their first dose of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine at a press event last Wednesday. Is this the year of science? Let's hope so. I mean, there's still an awful lot of
3: resistance, but uh, let's hope
1: we Well, out. I hope not, because there was much more beliefs. People had greater beliefs in science in the past <clears throat> when something was uh, discovered. <clears throat> Excuse me, but this year there's a science is up for uh, a examination. Do we follow the science? or Do we follow yeah. the conscience? No. I think it'd be it's lovely. It's question. You
6: know? It'd be great to have a year of science and have everyone say that, you know, the booster that you have to get after your double dose, you know, will make you immune forever and we just have an official vaccine and we can get on with life and (laughs) I got mine. I'm double vaccinated actually, so that's very exciting.
1: But I think the question was, is it a year of science? Do we really believe in science the way Copernicus
3: did or me? Um, Albert had a, had a rough time too yeah, <laughs> a, yeah. But no, that's, I mean that, that's hope we're turning in that direction because it's been this last year has been so many doubters and denials of, of science I thought, uh, you hope we're turning in that direction but unfortunately so much things are still going along partisan lines
1: yeah and, and those yeah. who don't believe that this is the year of science have no alternative they don't offer yeah. us an antidote and so we're left uh, aloof and
4: adrift
3: yeah,
4: good point, Henry. Yeah. Well, another It'd be quote. Nice
6: if every year was the year of science.
4: Yeah, that would be nice. Um, yes, I would like to see that. Or, or at, at least if if we would all adopt the the curious nature that most of the best scientists have.
3: Right.
4: Uh, do you realize how difficult it is to go through and?
1: find a cure for something that you cannot see, that you cannot touch, that you cannot feel, only through um, information from remote sources. Uh, that, that is incredible. And uh, you could, for me, it's a year of science because of all of the stuff that they did in just a few months just to solve a problem that was killing yeah. thousands of people a year in territories and countries
3: you know what's remarkable henry is that i've saw within the last week or so a long list of diseases that used to be very endemic to all human beings and were killing a lot of people that are pretty much ancient history now in large part because of vaccines i mean smallpox yes. and polio and lots of other things too mm-hmm. and we just take those for granted and in most cases as far as i know when those vaccines were around they were not big deep, deeply partisan issues we We were glad to have the polio vaccine or the smallpox vaccine or, again, other things along the way. But for some reason, this whole COVID thing has become such a deeply partisan
1: issue. But I had to condemn science first before I really supported it. We have had some awesome um, creativity in science. Uh, We got a robot on the moon that can look around and send back pictures we're around 17 billion miles into space beyond Earth. And we're looking around there and we're only 40 years from reaching the next uh, uh, big star. And there's a lot going on in there. We're exposed to a lot of stuff. All we gotta do is open our minds
4: and you know, get rid of the politics. There's, there's a great story uh, that my uh, friend Jeff Sherman out in uh, Los Angeles tells about when he got the polio vaccine in the sugar cube format.
1: Yes.
4: And uh, and I remember that. That's that's how I got mine. Um, and he came home from school that day, and he was just, you know, just a young kid. And uh, he said, Dad, I got a vaccination today. And his dad says, oh, man, was it horrible? You know, you hate shots. And he said, no, they gave it to me in a little sugar cube. Well, his dad... Yeah was one of the songwriting team, the Sherman Brothers, who were working on the music for a, uh, a movie called Mary Poppins. And, and that event became the impetus for the song Just a Spoonful of Sugar
1: no that
3: is
4: one
6: of my favorite movies growing up i love it that makes me so happy
4: and that's and that's where that came from so needless to say in all of his uh, facebook uh, posts over the last uh several weeks um or months since the the vaccines started uh, uh being rolled out he's been really pushing and encouraging people to take the vaccines and um as as a lot of people have, but it's just funny because he has this this very personal, fun connection to just the concept of vaccines and vaccination.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I recall a great sense of relief when the when the the polio vaccine first came out because I was a young kid then, to, as well. And uh, I don't recall any big division. There was just as I say this, almost celebration or sign of relief that there is a cure because there was a time during. Parts of the year where you'd see all these iron lungs around with kids, mostly, who had gotten polio.
4: Yeah, and an that's uncle that's who had uh, polio from when he was oh. very young. And, and he had a brace on his leg, and, and he, you know, was, was able to function. In fact, he functioned very well. He used to just kind of pass it off as, well, I've, I've got a bum leg. <laughs> well, without science, without science... None of this would have been possible. That's true. That's true. true. And we're going to be. I think we're going to. I think we're going to brush up against uh, vaccines again. Coming up a little later in the show. I um, I have uh, another quote uh, that I want to squeeze in here very quickly. Um, and I'm not sure we have much time. We had about a minute and a half till the break. But my concerns regarding the appropriate and limited use of the military in domestic matters were heightened by commentary in the media about the possibility of a military coup or that advisers to the president were advocating the declaration of martial law.
3: Hmm.
1: Interesting. That's interesting, yeah. Those kind of uh, scare tactics should be no part of the American conversations.
4: Guys. Well, I'm going to do one of those things that, that I always hate when the media does it, and I'm going to hold back on who said that. And, 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 and I'm going to pull up Paul Harvey and give you the rest yeah, of the story. rest of the story. <laughs>
6: After the break. After the break,
4: that's right. We're going to take a, uh, a break here. If you're listening to us on uh, WFOV, Our Voices Radio, 92.1 LPFM in Flint, they are a broadcast service. Of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend uh, Paul Herring. And uh, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then we'll return with more armchair politics with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jennifer Curlin. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back
6: Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show.
4: And hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now, and we pick it up uh, on that cliffhanger that, uh, <laughs> that I stuck out there just before the break. Uh, here's, here's the quote again, and, and we'll have, uh, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. My concerns regarding the appropriate and limited use of the military and domestic matters were heightened. By commentary in the media about the possibility of a military coup or that advisers to the president were advocating the declaration of martial law.
3: That that wouldn't be Liz Cheney,
4: would it? No, no. And (laughs) I I don't think anybody would guess this. I certainly wouldn't have. It was uh, former acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller who's expected to tell this to Congress today that he was concerned sending U.S. troops to the uh, Capitol on January 6th that that would have encouraged the conspiracy of a possible military coup. And this is all according to his prepared testimony, which CNN shared in advance of his uh, testimony today. But can an insurgency be be just as easily perceived as a military coup? I
6: mean, there were members of the military that were there. So, you know, that were participating in the whole thing. So... You know, I mean, I don't necessarily see that that is, like, an excuse to not protect the capital.
3: But, but but you're right, but there was the issue that in some of those groups, some of the Proud Boys and some of those, there were a significant number of either military and or police officials who had, you know, military-like training. <clears throat> that, that did raise that issue.
1: Well, I was, I thought it was hyperbole. Um, <clears throat> those, that capital they stood there. It was good, I got to share it all yesterday, but it's not the virus, so it won't be transmitted to the folks. <laughs> so just be cool. <clears throat> <clears throat> but uh, you know, I I I thought too much hyperbole like that can inspire something like that because people are copycatters and the people are creative in what they do. But stop and think about that. Capital stood there for two hundred and forty-two, two hundred and. Forty-two years. No, not there. But it, it, uh, it was uh, two, after right. two uh, hundred. That was when that capital, the one So the more group, than oh, that's more than two hundred years. Right. Yeah. 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 But the site is still there. I remember the the capital was in several states around the country before, after seventeen eighty nine
4: until
3: mm-hmm.
4: uh, seventeen twelve or 1812. Well, it went from what, uh, Paul? You know, you'd be the uh, expert on this. Philadelphia,
3: part. New York.
4: And then and Washington. Then Albany.
3: Washington, yeah.
4: He was in Albany
1: at one time. So my, my point is that he stood out there with all of the insurgents on this continent, the French, the English, the, um, the Spaniards, the American Indians, and the people who are, were naturally against United States because they didn't want to see it formed and those were some of the people within our own country it stood there all by itself on the prairie unprotected by gates and planes and moats and docks and stuff like that and it survived that way and it would continue to survive that way because I think that most of the people believe that this country should survive as it is I think that most Americans do they don't want to see it happen the the Government has the heart of the American people, but it's got to be competent and trustworthy. To you know, to sustain that kind of history, and and uh, so I don't I don't think that people were really ready. They would have raised all kind of holy hell over people because I, I was ready to go down mm-hmm. and arm up myself and go down to protect the Capitol from <laughs> people um, invading it. And these were people who, as Americans, they think that just because you have individual rights under the Constitution, you can do anything you want to.
3: Yeah. No. No, I, I recall my reactions. I watched it that afternoon. I, I, I knew there was going to be a protest and all that, so I wasn't surprised to see the, the crowd. But once it started... I was just astonished to see what as things developed on January 6th.
1: But can you name any other country that can boast the same? Any country, anywhere in the world, past or present? What? That would have a capital that, that stand out the, in the open That's had the seat without? of
4: government stand uninterrupted for 200 yes. years.
1: Yeah.
6: Oh, I mean, there's other countries that are older than we are. So. Yeah, but is. that's not
4: the point.
1: Can you do you know of any other country that has stood in isolation like our capital has for years and years without all of this extra protection, and yet survived and with a belief system by the people that's strong enough to sustain uh, <clears throat> the capital from
4: well, that's one of the great injury. things. That's one of the great things about our system of government, Henry. That uh, Winston Churchill said. Uh, was the worst you could have except for all the others um by w- the way
3: as a sidebar point does, does anybody got the answer to this are those wire fences still around the capitol
4: i believe I they people, are
3: uh, yeah i i, uh,
1: for, for, for I think they are uh, yeah there is a scheduled time to remove them though uh, according to Pelosi. but i don't know i don't remember what it is but I'm proud of the country, and, even you
4: know, though it's a lot of I was, What I was about to say, though, Henry, is that our system of government allows for change and transitions peacefully. So we haven't had the overthrows that a lot of other countries have had because, you know, the, there's, there's pressure relief. In that we have regular elections and regular transitions of power. Thank you. That's I a good way I it think it
6: would be remiss to, to point out that the United States of America has been the people um, behind a lot of like regime changes in other countries. <laughs> yeah. <So>.
1: uh,
3: yeah.
4: <laughs> we could probably, yeah, probably do we, a whole show on that. Yeah,
1: yeah <laughs> but guys, yeah. every country does that. Every country. There's nobody. Nobody
6: doesn't like the United yeah. States.
1: No, so like well, but that's important. because we have the power. But yeah, America, I don't agree America, on it. At least, yeah, that's true. I don't agree with doing that.
4: Ask the but people the trying to get gas in the Northeast yeah um, i don't agree with it right i
6: mean ask the people in colombia right now and venezuela and you know all the other countries in south america that we've destabilized for you know, right. our own in- corporate interests
4: well i was backing up henry's points that that other countries do it too as we're yeah. experiencing with that that's what china and russia are doing right now that that hack of they the, come in
1: and they look at the vulnerable parts of the population and they and incite them to do things against the structure.
4: Well, let's get into a couple of things that are a little closer to home. Mayor Sheldon Neely says he's doubling the reward for information leading to the arrest of anyone dumping tires in Flint. Neely announced the rewards of up to $2,000 on Monday, just days after a tire buyback program here, and after the city was forced to oversee the cleanup of another dump site filled with tires and trash, the city said in a news release. Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County... And the mayor announced a uh, partnership last year to fight illegally dumped uh, or illegal dumping by offering rewards of up to a thousand dollars for tips that lead to the arrest of anyone illegally dumping in the city. Neely's uh, announcement Monday doubles the reward to up to two thousand dollars when the dumping includes tires. Just last week, he said he wants to use two million dollars in federal COVID-19 relief funds to boost efforts to fight blight in the city. Legal dumping can be re, uh, reported by submitting videos or photos to crimestoppersofflint.com using the free P3 mobile app or by calling uh, 1-800-422-JAIL or 422-5245. Does it seem that this partnership between Crimestoppers and the city of Flint is having any impact on reducing blight? If you put money behind it, yes.
1: Like
3: like at Yeah, <clears throat> you know what? What strikes me as funny about the the whole at least much of the illegal dumping situation is if you think about it. I mean, for, if you live in Flint and you've got trash, you can drag it out to your in the front of your house, and the trash will pick it up. But to dump it illegally, you got to drag it out of the house, put it in a truck, drive <laughs> someplace, drag it out <laughs> of the <laughs> truck, and put it in somebody else's lot. I mean, I, I understand commercial. Operations may do that, but for an individual, what is the logic of dragging a mattress or a couch or a chair halfway across town just so you can dump it in somebody's empty lot when you could have it picked up in the normal routine uh, run of, uh, of trash pickup? Uh, that's one thing that's always kind of mystified me about the illegal dumping.
1: You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get on the side of the uh, our third uh, roundtable person. She is so positive. <clears throat> about a lot of things here, and I, I I would encourage Mayor Neely to go to the high schools or the colleges and create an incentive for kids to enterprise on old tires. How do we take this resource, convert it into another resource that's useful? Humanity, and we know that rubber is very useful and it's very expensive to to uh, develop into tires <coughs> from the uh, the. Um, from the beginning process, and much a lot of that has been done, because tire tire solids uh, once it's broken down has been used in road uh, bases and stuff like that. But you can you got to get the creative thinking of the young people, figure out a way to use this in a positive way that would benefit
4: humanity. Well, like that Flint woman that uh, figured out a way. To- to uh, melt down plastic water bottles when we were, you know, overloaded right. with them, and and turn yeah. them into uh, frames for eyeglasses.
3: Yeah. Yes. So don't those don't those some of those uh, those uh, scrap metal areas on North Shore Highway recycle tires? I when I drive by, yes, them, they do. Like these Huge mountains where I assume are are chopped up or chipped up tires. At least it looks like that from from the road. So I'm I assuming <clears down throat> for some kind of recycling.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, and I I think that if you put a value to to that, you could get some intellectual things arising out of creativity by young people who have never thought that something couldn't be done, and this is where well, creativity I, comes. From.
3: Well, I heard this weekend really when they had the tire buyback that, that there was a long, there were such long lines that some people were discouraged because there right. were a lot of people apparently bringing tires in for what a. They got a dollar a tire, I think, as I, I saw in one ad.
1: And people were I, trying to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah, I, do think the right so. thing. I think
3: so. It's, it's
1: like there's need two to sides
6: push. to the problem, right? You have the side of the people who are doing the illegal dumping, and those are the people that you need to catch and get them to stop doing that. And then there's the problem of that people do have you know, tires that you know they need to dispose of. And when a city only has, you know, one day a year where people can drop off things like that, that's one of the things, you know what I mean? Like there just needs to be Mm -hmm. a better communication of like, this is how everyone can dispose of X when it comes to like medication or electronics or tires. You know, these are things that people have all the time, but we don't have the resources out there. We don't have real recycling that we can get rid of, you know, all the plastic and all the things that we need to get rid of. We don't encourage businesses to use recycled products. So even when we do recycle things, there isn't a market for the recycled products. You know, I mean, it's kind of a larger issue of like, you know, we have these things that we need to get rid of. And why isn't there a larger, you know, governmental program that is easier for people to dispose of these things? in a proper manner, rather than, you know, having dumping be the easiest way.
4: Well, I think Henry touched on something kind of interesting, and that was the, uh, you know, uh, the positive approach to cleanup, offering incentives maybe to young people, rather than just boosting the penalties.
1: Yeah, and young people have the creativity. Most of us now have lived long enough that we say something can't be done, because it was tried 10 years ago but the young people have never been exposed to that. You give them a challenge and the incentive and provide the opportunity and the rewards for it, and they will solve your problem.
4: Yeah, I'd have to you know, I'd I'd make remember a tire swing, and then I'd be all done. All the rest of the tires, would, we'd have to throw them on the neighbor's lawn. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember uh, reading a story about uh, the discovery
1: of glass for automobiles or carriages back in 1842, in France. And what the leader did, what the king did, um, or the, the um, I think they had kings in, in, in 1842, but they, they decided to, uh, the king commissioned a, uh, a proposition to the public, go out and find a, easy way to produce glass and that did work and it was it was it was a great time for it because the automobile would have been built sixty years later and it needed mm-hmm. glass for the carriages I remember that because I did my uh, my my uh, uh, study in college for my uh, masters on the uh, we should the automobile industry on the front mm-hmm. river. I think it certainly
6: shows that if you fund, you know, innovation and you give, you know, prizes and funding for people to, you know, create and innovate, then, you know, you do. It's a priority, right? We want to, you know, make new things and be innovative as a society, then you need to fund it. Right? The general public doesn't have the kind of money to do those kinds of things. It needs to be funded through an entity.
1: Okay, Can you uh, call uh, Mayor Neely and tell that, uh, uh to get started on this? Yeah. Right?
3: You <laughs> well, you, you know, if you take a look at the, at the, uh, the bottle deposit law, I mean, when you, when you have a 10-cent deposit on, on cans or bottles, you really don't see a lot of those laying around for that very reason. People people will pick them up and read through them. And maybe similar kind of things Achieve. are an incentive to to uh, recycle other things too.
4: Well, let's let's move on. A Flint City Councilman who's used racial and homophobic slurs during video broadcasts on Facebook isn't apologizing for his words but has started removing the recordings soon after they are broadcast live. Second Ward Councilman Maurice Davis made his remarks on what he calls the News and Blues broadcast, which typically includes his commentary on city business, harsh words for his political enemies, and routine profanity. Davis, a first-term councilman who is black, became a minor political celebrity when the lifelong Democrat endorsed former President Donald Trump in the 2020 election. He ended an interview with live, the Flint Journal, when asked about his use of racial and homophobic slurs on his social media show. Should there be regulations curbing the use of uh, public media by elected officials like Davis, the mayor, and others for political purposes?
6: I would much rather know who the racist bigots are than not. I'd rather let them tell me.
0: That's an interesting.
3: That's yeah, I, I, I kind of lean that of direction that. too. I, I, I'm, I'm not uh, as much as I disagree with what Davis is doing. I, yeah, I, I would hate to see that kind of stuff put underground because it's still going to be there.
1: But um, what are you teaching the next generation, the people who will lead this country and who will de- develop behaviors that will stabilize us and make us whole? What are we telling them?
6: Well, Well, listen, I mean, in many other countries, you know, racial slurs are illegal, you know, and I think that, you know, as much as I'm a free speech advocate and I don't believe in, you know, suppressing speech when speech is violence. why don't we treat it as such, you know, and racist speech is violence. And so if, you know, if there's no consequences to your speech, um, you know, it's one thing, but when okay. your speech is violent, you know, there should be something, whether it's a monetary penalty or, or something, you know, I don't believe in am jailing people for speaking, but, you know, there needs to be some kind of consequence for people, you know, to really, you know, change society and to, to make racism illegal, you know, like, why don't we make, you know, violent speech illegal?
3: it will be worth watching to see what happens to Maurice Davis in the upcoming primary this August.
4: Because That's he's,
3: true. He's facing some serious competition, and I'm sure some of those things will be a key part of the the campaign in the uh, in the second ward.
4: Well, I was just trying. I was just kind of throwing back in my own mind to the days when uh, when the FCC had very strict guidelines about yeah. politicians, in particular, and this this notion of uh, uh, an equal time doctrine, right? That yeah. and and now because of the internet and podcasts and the way that media operates, it there just isn't that that sense that you you don't get all this free media. You know, you can advertise can your campaign. can compartmentalize
6: their media. Yeah. Like you can choose to only listen to white supremacists, you know. Like there's enough out there that you can only listen to, you know, white supremacist podcasts and white supremacist television.
4: Yeah, it just it yeah. it just seems that uh you know, the the guidelines that that we used to follow which did a pretty good job of, of sharing information but balancing opinion. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah,
1: that equal time uh, you know, has a lot of sense to it. Can I, I just throw this out to you? You guys encourage a lot of creative thinking on that part. But um, thinking about uh, this kind of speech, the American uh, people of color are the real winners from these discussions that we've had for the last 20 years. Uh, if you look on TV and watch well. If you were from Mars and you came here, well, who runs this country? And you look on TV and, and what you learn, what you, <clears throat> uh, what you conclude from what TV is demonstrating is that black Americans are better today than they've ever been before. They, it, they look like they really run at least a portion of the country. That would have never happened without this great diverse. Argument we have over race, over um, uh, bad speech, over suppression and stuff like that. But look what has evolved out of this! It released the uh, the bond that racism had over the country and suppression. It is now open. the <clears throat> The only now we know that people only uh, rise out of out of uh, suppression due to the loss of blood, sweat, and tears. <clears throat> but in this case, like Americans have not suffered that. Oh, ex- a little bit, except the shootings and stuff like that they did. But <clears throat> if you try to take that away from them, then that's probably where their blood, sweat, and tears would be, um, would be evident. But I think we, 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 are, we have changed as a country.
4: We're better
6: off for it. Well uh, I I would actually disagree that we've changed as a country so much since the sixties. I think we've been pretty stagnant since the sixties and there hasn't really been much change.
1: But,
4: well, but you have, you to, know, you have to look more, like at it from my perspective. There's
6: a little bit more ha- diversity in certain places. But in I'm going like, to I'm gonna have mean, to interject
4: here and put a comma, because yeah. we have a break coming uh, up. Okay. Um, and Bring us back to this. <laughs> and the, Yeah, when we come yeah, back, we want to get back, back. back to this, and then I have... Uh, <coughs> Something from the County Board of Commissioners that I want to get into. So if you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're uh, streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. But more politics on uh, the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
3: This
6: is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
4: Hey, welcome back. I'm Chair Politics continues on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jennifer Curlin. And uh, Henry and uh, Jennifer were uh, having a little discussion about uh, free speech in the wake of my question about uh, uh, Maurice Davis's uh, online program uh blues and news um, where, where do you I'll want you to pick to it up Jennifer. I'll let you to Jennifer I want to hear, hear what Jennifer has to say
6: oh yes because we devolved <clears throat> into talking about how <laughs> how you know our our politics in our country has have or have not changed so much. and
4: Henry um, was saying it know, has gotten better because of free speech. And, and, Jennifer, you said you didn't think much had changed since the 60s.
6: Well, you know, in terms of our country, right, like since the 60s, you know, you've actually now had some of the gains that happened during the civil rights era be lessened, like the Voting Rights Act, Um you've had other things that affect um, predominantly black and brown people like the clean water act and the clean air act and you've had an increase in environmental pollution Um, you've had some gains in terms of like you have some you know people of color have broken glass ceilings you know and of course um, kamala harris is the vice president barack obama as president But in many ways, those are very superficial things. They're important symbols, but it's very superficial because as a whole, you've actually, um, you know, when you look at the wealth of, um, you know, families who are black and brown and you look at how our economic system and as an overall how people of color are doing, there isn't much of a difference between the 60s and today.
3: Yeah, if you take I'm, a look at, it, say, at net worth, net worth, it's surprising how little it has changed. I mean, you're right. There's other symbolic things that have happened and, and voting rights and all that. But if you take a look at average net worth now compared to what it was back in the 60s or 70s, it, there's a surprisingly minimal shift in that area.
4: Well, there's been an increasing divide between the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. And the have-nots are disproportionately black and brown in this country. Mm-hmm. And and I yeah. think that's well. Think well there's, that's, a large, uh, there's a larger there's a of whites in that group too. Oh, I'm not I'm not well, saying yeah. that there aren't. I'm saying that it's disproportionate. Um, yeah, I understand. And, and, and well, that's all I'm really okay. saying, and I'm, and I'm saying that to, you know, kind of put a, a close on this discussion so we can move on to something else. The County Board of Commissioners is considering a resolution to declare May as Police Appreciation Month, and some members are defending a request to fly the thin blue line flag at all county buildings despite the symbol having been banned elsewhere. Three of the nine commissioners promoted the actions at a news conference Monday, two days before a vote, which is today, on the resolution uh, is scheduled. The resolution comes two weeks after a divided commission approved a resolution 7-2 to two to fly the rainbow flag symbolizing LGBTQ pride at county buildings every June. Commissioner Sean Shoemaker, a Republican from Fenton Township, proposed the law enforcement resolution and said the thin blue line flag represents the difference between uh, societal organization when you have the police and chaos when that line is erased. Commissioner Dominique Clemens, a Democrat from Flint Township, said he will ask that the... uh, resolution be sent to a committee before any yes or no vote on it but said he's taken no hard position against declaring a police appreciation month the thin blue line flag resembles a u.s flag but has a blue stripe it is considered a sign of support for police but has also been criticized as a symbol of white supremacy in january the university of wisconsin madison's police chief banned officers from using the thin blue line imagery while on duty. Just three days ago, the chief judge of Maryland District Courts banned court employees from wearing face masks showing the law enforcement symbol, according to the Associated Press. Is this likely to happen in Genesee County, and would there be a public outcry?
1: Hmm... Oh, there would I don't be know a what's gonna happen outcry. <laughs> the yeah, Hindu but, line
6: is like the modern equivalent of the Confederate flag.
1: It's taken a- I'll you agree know, with that. Concerned. I'll agree with that because yeah. I think the police has uh, a lot of um, you know, reflections to to look at before we can clean that up. Uh, and and you know, yeah.
3: kinda of one other issue too, in terms of ordinary flag etiquette, is isn't that considered defacing the flag? And I'm always struck by some of the folks who are most yeah. inclined to wave the flag uh, are, are quite willing to put it on b- baseball caps, T-shirts, uh, <laughs> bikinis, and other kind of flags, which, again, as I understand it from the usual flag uh, flag etiquette, is considered defacing the flag. And these are the folks who get upset when some put- football player kneels uh, to the national anthem. So I'm... Uh, uh, I'd say I say on that grounds alone, I have raised
4: some questions about it. I I did too. I think we're all in agreement on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, good. Then we can uh, on the on the subject of agreement for a moment. Last week, Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Republican legislative leaders appeared on the verge of finding something elusive in Lansing—a pandemic compromise. But sources say Whitmer's announcement of a plan tying vaccination efforts to easing COVID 19 regulations is throwing into flux a broader deal involving billions in federal relief funds and how to combat pandemics in the future. At the same time, other sources note Whitmer and Health Department leaders essentially acquiesced to a long-standing Republican request to publish simple metrics used when determining how to loosen COVID-19 regulations, and a key part of the state's plan came from GOP legislative leaders, sources say. Ultimately, tensions remain high, trust remains low, and the prospects of quickly and efficiently distributing billions of dollars to those in need remain slim. Should easing COVID-related restrictions be tied to vaccination levels, and what does that have to do with distributing relief money?
3: Hmm. Well, I think it's reasonable to tie it to to vaccination levels. That's one sign of controlling the the, the pandemic. But whether it should be tied to relief money, I don't know.
6: I mean, relief money is important for communities to be able to function and get back on their feet. So there certainly shouldn't be a penalty for communities that don't have people vaxxed, whether it's because... It happens to be, you know, an area where there happens to be a bunch of anti-vaxxers for either religious reasons or cultural reasons or whatever, or where you have places like, you know, Detroit and Flint and majority black communities where there are a lot of people who aren't getting vaccines yet, simply because of the historical issue of our government and how it treats people of color, especially when it comes to, you know, medical experimentation. So, you know, you can't I mean, I think you're going to disproportionately affect people that really need the help if you tie those two things in together.
1: But that has always been the case in the United States. Uh, People were considered uh, having preferences, and you can't change that. That's in a culture that has to grow out or um, be muted out. And people do act the way that they are encouraged to act by their cultures. And we shouldn't condemn the whole system because they act that way, because they, they don't understand it until it's brought to a platform where we can discuss these kind of things.
3: Do you think So
1: I, I, a... I agree with you, Megan, uh, that, uh, Jennifer, that this is true. But there, there are reasons, causes, and effects why these things are true.
4: Do you think people that are dragging their feet about getting vaccinated... Um, will make the decision to get vaccinated if it means uh, we can get back to normal sooner?
1: No. No, I don't think so either. You
4: mm-hmm. think they'll just blow right past that and start crowding into parties and events? I mean, and they stuff?
6: already are, right? Like they already yeah, have yeah, been you're right. throughout the entire <clears throat> pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, throughout the whole pandemic you've seen, you know, at points where either there's, like, looser restrictions or, like, one community is like, you know what, it's been too much, we're loosening the restrictions, and all of a sudden we have groups of people all together, and then two weeks later, you know, you've got increasing cases from those people. You know, I mean, I think it's like this double-edged sword, right? Like, you can't continue to operate, you know, as we have been because it's affecting people as a society, right? It's increasing depression, it's, it's having social issues and emotional issues and you know all those kinds of things but then it's also like you have to put public health in perspective you know and so some of the stuff that I've been reading is that they don't think that we're ever going to get herd immunity and that COVID will turn into something like the flu that you know continues to pop up and and will affect us for generations and that's I'm
3: curious to see what some of these incentives will have. I, I see this in some states they're paying people to get vaccinated or you get free baseball tickets. or I think the positive
4: approach, that. by and large, Paul, is better than, than a punitive <coughs> approach, like it may be, tickets yeah, and it, fines and so on. I think incentivizing people to get vaccinated by... You know, adding privileges and and, um, curbing uh, or walking back restrictions is is a better approach. You know, certainly we saw that (laughs) the the situation with that barber in Owasso completely (laughs) backfired on on the governor and the attorney general's office. Um, We have to uh, take a break here at the top of the hour for uh, show ID and so on. But the uh, second half of Armchair Politics with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by uh, Jennifer Curlin, will continue after uh, when we get into our uh, second half of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, you're listening to us on uh, WFOV 92one LPFM Flint, or you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com. We'll be back with more right after this.
3: Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.